Church, I invite you to open with me this morning to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Go ahead and grab that listening guide that you got in your bulletin as well, and I pray that that is useful for you as you follow along in the message today. You'll see the title of the sermon is True Happiness. True Happiness. I can't think of a better day than today, this rainy Sunday morning, than to talk about what it means to be truly happy. Amen. Listen, we were talking in the back this morning about just the weather this morning and how even when I woke up and walked outside for the first time, I said, you know what? It would have been great to have a sunny day on this day. But at the same time, my allergies said, praise God for the rain. And uh, we're grateful that it knocked some of that pollen out of the air. Psalm 1 is where we're going to be in just a moment. We're walking over the month of June through what we're calling Summer in the Psalms summer in the psalms i'm well aware trust me that summer continues far beyond the month of june but we got four weeks here what we're going to do is walk through some of the more familiar psalms some of the passages of scripture that maybe you sing about or you've read in a devotional book or maybe you've just read in your time with the lord each day and i really want to slow down today and slow down over the course of this month and look at some of these very familiar passages of scripture next week we're going to be in psalm 23 And we're going to really slow down and and drink deeply from God's Word to rightly understand and apply those passages of Scripture. They're not just things that we read that make us feel good inside. There is rich truth in those passages, and that is certainly true of Psalm 1 this morning. I think all of us would agree that happiness is quite elusive. At the very least, happiness is fleeting. It comes and it goes just as quickly as it got there. You know, you'll be joy-filled and happy in one moment, and then in the very next moment, that's gone. Think about the last time you took a family vacation. Maybe you loaded up the car, you've been anticipating this vacation for quite some time, and you got everything loaded up, and if you're a family of five, maybe it's not quite as joy-filled, right? Um, if you've got five kiddos like me, but nonetheless, you, you, you've anticipated this great vacation you're going to have, and you, and you head to the beach maybe, and you get there, and for a whole week, you just check out absolute elation joy in your heart because you're resting and you're relaxing and it's a lot of fun to spend with your family but then guess what you come back from vacation and just as quickly as that joy came guess what it's gone again because you go to work on monday morning and real world life sets in again you see beyond family vacations i really think that happiness is elusive in many areas of our life perhaps you're sitting here this morning And you're walking through a dark season of your life. Maybe because of a loss in your family, a struggle you're walking through personally, you found happiness to be elusive and fleeting. But here's the truth we're going to meditate on from Scripture this morning. You can write this down if you want to. True happiness, true happiness is possible for those who are rooted in Christ. True happiness is possible. What I mean by true happiness is this, happiness and joy that lasts. Happiness and joy that is firmly planted on the foundation of knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. You may say, we're going to be in Psalm 1, we're in the Old Testament, where in the world is Jesus in Psalm 1? We're going to get there and you're going to see a clear picture today of how ultimately as we talk about being planted by flowing streams of water where we can grow and have joy, ultimately that means that we're planted firmly within Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And so I want to make a guarantee to you this morning. I don't make a lot of guarantees. I don't like to be wrong. 
But I want to make a guarantee. If you plant your life in Jesus, if you know him as your Savior, you can be truly happy. That's a promise from Scripture. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can be truly, lastingly happy. Would you open with me to Psalm 1 and stand with me to honor the reading of his word? How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked, they will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the blessing of your word. I pray, God that we will delight in your word today, that we will be supremely happy because we have spent time with you in your word. Lord, I pray that you will anoint the proclamation of your word, that you'll make it clear and plain to us. Lord, that we will be encouraged, but Lord, that we will also be challenged. We trust these things. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated? True happiness, church, is possible when we are rooted in Christ Jesus. Here are some characteristics of those who are rooted in Christ. We're going to see three of those very clearly in the first three verses of Psalm 1. And the first characteristic is this. Those who are rooted in Christ, they resist the godless. Those who are rooted in Christ, those who are firmly planted on the bedrock of knowing Jesus as their Savior, they resist godlessness they resist the godless you could say you know a more appropriate way of understanding or i should say it's very important that we understand in verse one what it means when the word says happy your translation of scripture might say blessed is the one or blessed is the man you see that word blessing is loaded with all sorts of meaning in our church culture and so i want to be clear today that this happiness this being blessed is very much so an emotional sense of joy. You see, we tie blessing in our church culture so often to material blessing or material prosperity. And we've talked several times how that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. But you can be truly happy whether you are rich or poor. No matter what walk of life that you find yourself in, no matter what cultural context you come from, you can be truly happy if you're rooted in Christ. It's very important we understand what the word says there in verse 1. But here's the reality. We live in a time when the godless are ever ready to offer advice for living to the godly. I'll say that again. We live in a time when those who are godless, those who are without Christ, they are ever ready to offer advice to those walking with Jesus about how it would profit them to live differently. 
We live in a world where there is a lie that is perpetuated that those who are Christians, they can't be truly happy because they're shackled to the commands of Scripture. And the Word of God says very clearly here that you can be happy, supremely happy, in fact, rooted in Jesus Christ. So you can write this down as well. The godless world in which we live, sometimes even in subtle ways, proposes a seemingly better way. Think about how true this might be in your own life. The, the TV shows you might, might watch or the commercials that come on in between. Or maybe on your mobile device you're scrolling through social media and there are, there's advice, whether we like it or not, about how we might live our lives to match those who are godless. There's a lie that is perpetuated through all of these means that there may be, in fact, a better way to live. And it's into this situation that the psalmist offers the counsel that we find in verse 1. And we see this very clearly. Adopting the way of the world is realized in progressive conformity to the world. Adopting the way of the world is realized in progressive conformity to the world. And notice that this progressive conformity, it comes about by decisive action. Look at those three phrases mentioned in verse 1. It says that the, how happy is the one who does not, and here's these three phrases, they don't walk in the advice of the wicked, they don't stand in the pathway with sinners, and they don't sit in the company of mockers. Each of those verbs there, walking, standing, and sitting, those are decisive actions on our part if we're not careful. I think we often buy into the lie that people fall into sin or they slip into sin. Or maybe the very popular Baptist term is they're just backsliding. You've heard this before. And the truth of Scripture is that is simply not true. Living in the way of the world, following the advice of the wicked, adopting the way of the world, church, it is something that is done by decisions that we make, and we cannot make excuse for that. And so notice with me this progression, if you will, three ways this progression takes place as we continue to adopt the way of the world. First of all, we see that it begins by being sympathetic to the principles of the ungodly. It begins by being sympathetic to the principles of of the ungodly what does this look like very simply it's when we say you know what i i see where they're coming from or, or i understand how they could arrive at that conclusion about life or we might even say this you know what it's just in their nature to believe that way or to act that way or they were made that way you see that's the lie that Many people buy into, even within the church, and it begins with that subtle fall, that decisive action into giving credence to what the world might say. But then there's a second decisive action that takes place as we get to this idea of standing in the pathway with sinners. We see that one begins to act along with the ungodly. So no longer are you just giving credence to what they're saying or saying, I understand where they're coming from, but now you're acting right along with them because you've bought into their argument and their understanding of life. But finally, and perhaps most damaging, if one is not careful, one begins favoring the values of the ungodly. This is the, the final step, if you will. No longer are you just listening to their advice. No longer are you just buying into their way of living and adopting that lifestyle. But now you are, in fact, promoting that understanding of the world. 
You're speaking out for it. Now, all of this sounds really harsh, so I want to make sure I give you a disclaimer that I want you to hear very clear from my heart. The mission of God still demands that we love those who are without Christ by being Christ before them. Make sure we understand that. The point of this passage is not that we just shouldn't associate with sinners at all. Some of my very best friends in this world don't believe what I believe. And I hope the same is true for you. Because as we are about the mission of God, we are going to be friends with sinners. And I would hope that we would be. The mission of God demands this. If we're truly going to be Christ before a lost and dying world, we can't be monks that cloister together as First Baptist Church here in the heart of Cave Spring. No, we have to be a part of the community. But here's what this passage is saying. Our associating with sinners is not really what is at stake. Understand that clearly. But here's what is at stake. The real battleground in all of this is our heart and our mind. The decisions that we make. The way that we think. How we think about godless principles and activities. Notice that this decisive activity, activity to adopt the way of the world is rooted in the thought patterns of a person. Everything begins with thinking a certain way. Everything begins with subtly buying into the lie that the world is perpetuating as true. We begin to think wrongly. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 real quick. It's not going to be on the screen, so I really want you to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look very quickly at verses 21 and 22. And then verses 27 and 28. Jesus knew this to be true. This is straight from the mouth of Jesus. He taught this very plainly to those who were listening this day while he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder. Right? Concrete activity, don't do that. Pretty easy, right? Don't kill people all right and whoever murders will be subject to judgment but notice what jesus says in verse 22 he says but i tell you everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment you catch that jesus says long before the action is ever committed there is this thought process that happens in the heart of a person and jesus says we got to take that just as serious there is a heart condition that is at stake you see all of this Adopting the way of the world or falling into godlessness, listen, it begins with a decision that is made in the heart and in the mind. Look at verses 27 and 28. He gets even more pointed. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Again, very plain, very clear from scripture what he means by that. But notice verse 28. But I tell you. Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, listen, the thought patterns, the condition of the heart is at stake here. The real battleground for sin is not necessarily in the activity committed, but no, it is in the heart and in the mind. So how does this apply to happiness this morning? How does this relate to what it means to be truly happy? I ask a very simple question. What consumes your thoughts? 
What do you think about most often? I said this a moment ago before I prayed with you during our time of worship. I get one hour with you on Sundays. I try to preach for only 30 minutes. We're not tracking real well this morning, but I try to preach for just 30 minutes. If I get 30 minutes with you to teach the word of God to you, if you come on Sunday nights, we get an hour together. So that's an hour and a half that I get to make sure that those who are present, whoever they may be, they are being saturated by the word of God if they're listening carefully. But here's what's true. Every night of the week for many in this room, you go home after work and you turn the television on and guess what? For two and sometimes three hours, you have that much more time to soak up whatever the world might say. So that's why I take this hour and a half I get with you on Sundays very seriously and make the most of it. Maybe if you got a phone in your hand and you, you, you're, you're wasting or passing, passing the time, if you will, and you grab the phone and you flip over to Facebook and you scroll through. And then maybe you get that usage report at the end of the week. Some of y'all get this, and it says you were on Facebook this week for 10 hours, whether you knew it or not. You see, this much of our lives are consumed by putting thoughts in our hearts and our minds. So what consumes your thoughts? What are you thinking about most often? Because here's the reality. If you buy into the lies of the world, if you give credence to what they are saying, before long, you are then living in that way. And then before long, you are being a proponent of that lifestyle and those choices. And there is not true happiness in any of that. So we have to resist godlessness. We have to push away from godless activity and ways of thinking. But let's be honest, this proves to be very difficult. And as we get to verse 2, we see a necessary remedy to all of this. Notice this, another character trait of those who are truly happy. Those rooted in Christ, they rejoice in the word. They rejoice in the word. You see, church, we are hardwired to fill the void of our hearts with something. We're hardwired to fill our hearts with something. It may be the joy we experience in some sort of hobby or activity or our jobs or our time with our families, but we fill the void of our hearts with something. But here's what's beautiful as we look at verse 2. Notice that the word of God gives us something to fill our hearts with. Listen carefully again as we read it. We read, instead, in other words, in other words, here's an alternative for you. Instead of doing what we outlined in verse 1, the things you could avoid, there is a better way. And it says, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. Instead of filling your minds with unholy things, we see that those rooted in Christ, they fill the void of their hearts and their minds with the word of God. You see, there's this void in your life that needs to be filled by something. And the clear teaching of scripture this morning is fill the void of your heart and your mind with the word of God instead of unholy things. Make no mistake, this is not some sort of passive or dull activity. It's not a boring sermon you listen to on Sunday mornings. No, it says that he delights in the Lord's instruction. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Some of y'all are old and in love, right? You know who you are. I want you to think back to when you were young and in love for just a minute and what that felt like. Maybe you go on your first date and, and you're spending time, significant time with the love of your life for the very first time and you're asking all sorts of questions, right? You remember this. 
You want to know everything about that person. And they tell you about their life and who they are and what they, their interests are and their life history. And what are you doing? Men, we used to listen really good back then, right? We're hanging on every single word. Why? Because we are in love with this person. We want to know everything there is about them. And so we ask more questions. We hang on every single word. Why? Because we love them and we adore them. That's what it means, church, to delight in the word of the Lord. It means that we love Jesus so much that he is our all-consuming passion that in the same way, because we love him, we hang on his every word. That as we drink deeply from just these six verses, we are encouraged to know that we can be truly happy if we fill our heart with the right things. But he goes on to say that those rooted in Christ, they meditate on the instruction of the Lord both day and night. That word meditation can be a kind of a strange word to think about. A misunderstood concept, certainly. Because most often we associate meditation with some of the Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism, right? And, and those religions, when they talk about meditation, what they're referring to is emptying your heart and your mind of everything, right? Some of, them, some of those religions call it getting to the clear, right? Clearing your heart, clearing your mind so that you can rightly discern what to do. But I want you to see very clearly this morning that meditation in the Christian sense is very different. Meditating here in this passage means a sort of murmuring of the word of God to yourself. Now, some of y'all talk to yourselves. If you ever talk back to yourself, that's a problem, okay? If that voice ever speaks back, you need to let somebody know. But that's what this means. It means that you're murmuring the word of God to yourself, that the word of God is it's so consumed you in your life that you are beginning to repeat it to yourself over and over and over again. Here's what it means. Meditating on the word means that we give voice to the word of God in our lives. When we meditate on the word, we are giving voice to the word of God in our lives. No longer is it just a passive activity. Where we sit under the preaching of the word on a Sunday morning or on a Sunday night. It becomes a very active activity as we reflect upon and consume the word. I've got a quote here I'm going to put on the screen. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Reading reaps the wheat. Meditation threshes it, grinds it, and makes it into bread. Ain't that good? So often we stop at reading, don't we? Right? We read the word, maybe we check that box on a, a day of the week. We say, all right, I spent my time in the word. I read it today. That's good. But we stop there. To delight in the word, to meditate on the word. Listen, that's where the real, that's where the real growth happens. That's where the, the real heart change begins to take place. Notice also that it's called in verse 2, the Lord's instruction. This is so significant, church. Because listen, when we understand that it's the Lord's instruction, it means that we recognize the word of God as suddenly valuable in our lives. You see, our willingness to meditate on the word, it is evidence that we recognize the word of God as valuable, as it having meaning and significance in our lives. Listen, this is not just a collection of stories. It is not just valuable as history. It is not even just valuable as something that is true. 
This word, church, listen carefully. If we're going to delight in it, if we're going to meditate on it, if we're going to truly be happy, listen, this word has to be applicable to our lives. It tells us how we are to live. It tells us how we are to shape our lives. It's valuable. And if it's that valuable as God's instruction to us, don't you think we should read it and meditate on it? Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, we read these words, this instruction from God as he is kind of passing the torch on to Joshua as the leader of the children of Israel. Listen to what the Lord places so much significance on in Joshua 1.8. The Lord says to Joshua, this book of instruction, it must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night, listen carefully, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. Here's Joshua taking over the reins of leading Israel. And the Lord is telling him the best advice he ever could have received. He doesn't give him any leadership principles. He tells him to be strong and courageous. That's well and good. But listen to what he says. He says, listen, this word. At that time, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible penned at the time. He says, this word. Meditate on it. Know it. Observe it in your life. And this is how you are to lead my people. So again, those who are rooted in Christ, they can be truly happy if they resist the godless. But coupled with that, they got to rejoice in the word. You got to do both. But that's not where it stops. There's a rich promise as we get to verse 3. Notice this. Those rooted in Christ, they realize abundance. Those rooted in Christ, they realize abundance. In other words, they trust that there is abundance on the way. They trust in God's provision. You know, we live in a world that has a distorted understanding of abundance. Wouldn't you agree? Abundance for many in our world, even within our church, is only related to our financial or material prosperity. And so therefore, happiness, true happiness, is relegated only to those who are rich and never to those who are poor. And so therefore, poverty begins to be this equation that equals sadness and sorrow. And yet the word of God here says in verse 3, listen to what it says. It says, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. There's some clear fruit, some clear provision, some clear abundance that God's word has in store for us here. Three ways that we realize abundance as God's people rooted in Christ for true happiness. Number one, those rooted in Christ, they bear the fruit of godliness in their lives. Those who are rooted in Christ, they bear the fruit of godliness in their lives. You might think to yourself about Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Some of y'all sang a fun song whenever you were a kid about this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Those fruits of the Spirit. This is the abundance of God in your life that no matter rich or poor or somewhere in between, guess what? You can be truly happy because you're bearing these fruits out in your life. But notice this also. Those rooted in Christ, they quietly grow during all seasons of life. Those who are rooted in Christ, they quietly grow during all seasons of life. 
this picture that's painted in verse 3 of this tree that's planted beside these flowing streams. I want you to understand the context of when this psalm was written and what Israel was experiencing as they were given this psalm and this song to sing. You see, it was penned most likely towards the end of David's reign as king. Well, guess what was happening during the end of David's reign? There was a drought in the land that had been going on for three years plus. And it came about simply because of their disobedience to the Lord. And it's into this context that these words are given to them and this promise is given to them. They're looking across a dry and desolate wilderness and yet God says to them, guess what? Those who are truly happy, those who are rooted in me, those who have me as their foundation, guess what? He is like a tree that is planted beside flowing streams. And in all seasons of life, there's a quiet growth that's happening. We know this to be true because we looked at 1 Peter over the last couple of months. The theme over and over again in 1 Peter is what? Even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of pain and sorrow, God is still sovereign, God is still in control, and God is still at work. Church, listen. In all seasons of life, those who are rooted in Christ, they are quietly growing. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8, a, a parallel passage to Psalm 1, particularly verse 3, we read these words. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed or is happy. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out towards a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry, listen to this, in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. Those who are rooted in Christ, they're always growing no matter the circumstances. And this is the abundance of the Lord. But notice as we look at verse 6, this final truth. Those rooted in Christ are ultimately blessed by dwelling in the presence of the Lord forever. We're going to come back to verses 4 and 5, but listen to the first part of verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous what a beautiful truth to hold on to church the lord watches over the way of the righteous understand that this watching over activity again is not something that's done passively by the lord no he is active and he is at work in your life as he's watching over you you see this very same word or this very same understanding is conveyed when God is calling Moses to go deliver the children of Israel out of bondage. You may remember that story. God speaks to Moses from a burning bush, and guess what he says? He says, listen, I have heard my children's cry for help. I have seen their affliction, and I know of their suffering. And guess what? As he's watching all of these things take place, guess what? He has compassion on them, and he calls Moses as this deliverer for them. Listen, those who are rooted in Christ, that same level of care and attention is directed your way for all of your life and into eternity. Those rooted in Christ, listen, the ultimate blessing, the ultimate peace comes by knowing we will dwell in his presence forever. Now, you'll notice I skipped a little bit. Verses 4 and 5 and the end of verse 6. I saved it for the end for a reason. I want to say very clearly before I read those verses. 
there are only two ways for us to live. Say that one more time. There are only two ways for us to live. With Christ or without Christ. Does it matter rich or poor? It doesn't matter cultural background. It doesn't matter the condition of your family. It doesn't matter if you have a family, you're an orphan. It doesn't matter. There is only two ways to live. With Christ and without Christ. There's a reason why this psalm is only six verses long and not 42. I think many times our world wants to perpetuate the lie that there's a third or a fourth way to live. That maybe you can sincerely believe in something and things still work out. That you can sincerely trust in something that may in fact not be true and it still work out. But I want you to listen to verses 4 and 5 and I want to read these so carefully. And while I'm reading these, I want you to ask yourself the question, are you truly happy? Very simply, the wicked are not like this. Everything we saw in verse 3 to be true about those rooted in Christ, it says very plainly in verse 4, the wicked are not like this. Those not rooted in Christ, none of these things are true about them. Instead, it says they are like chaff that the wind blows away. The picture here is of at harvest time, they would bring in the harvest of the grain. And they would throw it on the threshing floor and they would take their cattle or their horses and they would walk around on the threshing floor and they would crush the grain. And guess what would happen? The grain would separate. The good part of the grain would be left there and the chaff would be laying next to it. And then the farmer would come in with a shovel and he would throw it high into the air into the wind. And the heavy good part of the grain would fall back to the threshing floor. And guess what? The chaff was useless and it was worthless and it blew away. So we see this picture, the wicked are like that. In opposition to this understanding of the righteous, those rooted in Christ being like a firmly planted tree, the wicked instead are like chaff. Then we see in verse 5, therefore the wicked, they will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The picture gets even darker and perhaps darkest at the end of verse 6. Look at that with me. The way of the wicked leads to ruin. The way of the wicked leads to ruin. Friends, there are only two ways to live. With Christ and without Christ. I'm asking you the same question I've asked several times over the course of this message. Are you truly happy? Are you truly happy? I understand that there are these seasons in life of hardship and difficulty. We're not always going to have a smile on our face. Life can be hard, and I get that. But as you walk through those seasons, is there a return to joy and happiness because you're rooted in Christ? Is there a trust that God is still good, that he is still in control, no matter the hardship or the sorrow? If there is not, here is the very simple invitation. And this invitation is for those who have been sitting in these pews for 30 years and those who have been sitting in these pews for three weeks. If you are not truly happy, I want to challenge you. This is not necessarily an emotional problem. This is not something that you can somehow fix on your own. It is only fixed, it is only remedied by rooting your, your life in Christ Jesus. 
So here's what that means. There's a blue card in the back of the pew in front of you. There's some boxes there, and and you can indicate that you would like to give your life to Jesus. You want to follow Christ as your Savior. Now, checking that box does not make that decision secure right now. Here's what it tells me, though, as your pastor. It means that I'm going to call you. I'm going to reach out to you. I want to have a time to counsel with you and to show you in God's word what it means to follow Jesus as your Savior. Or maybe after the service this morning, you just come and talk to me. I'll be standing right here at the front. I want to hear from you. I want to understand your struggle and what you're walking through. And I want to understand your answer to that question, are you truly happy? Or maybe, believer, you're sitting here and you say, how does all this apply to me? You just needed a reminder today, perhaps, of what it means to be truly happy, of what it means to be rooted in Christ. Or maybe you have a lost family member or friend. I want to know who they are. I want to pray with you for them that they would also be rooting their lives in Christ Jesus.